Good morning. Good to see you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Paul Graham. I'm lead teaching pastor here at Lakeside, and welcome if you're visitors. Be glad to get to know you in the lobby afterwards. Lots of friendly people here, so don't be shy. Don't run off. Lots of people want to talk to you and get to know you. So uh, we are in this uh, series on discipleship that's gone on longer than I thought, and uh, it's this new thing that I have now. I don't set time limits on my topics or my schedules. It's just we do it until we get it right and uh, till we're done. So uh, we're on week nine now, and uh, this might be the last one, but I'm not sure. So I'll let you know next week. Um, but uh, this is a good one anyway. And uh, you remember, we started out this very first thing on discipleship on this theme of joy. Uh, Matthew uh, 13:44 was your key verse. It's the life verse I'm giving you on discipleship. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's discipleship. Seeing sometimes for the first time and then continuing to see many times through your life the absolute treasure of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven and the gospel and what God has done and cherishing that like it is the most valuable thing in your life so that everything else you could joyfully give up for the treasure that is Christ Jesus and what he's done for you. That's discipleship. That's what disciples are. They're people who live that way. And so that's our discipleship verse is that idea of joy behind the treasure of Christ. And we've looked at that a few times. We've looked at joy a few times through the series. And, and what we've also looked at a couple of times in the series is that as human beings as a whole, we're pretty bad at joy. We're pretty bad at happiness. Hence the need for God and Jesus to come into our life to show us how to be properly joyful. We're not good at finding joy on our own. In fact, we are so bad at it that most of the time the things that we pursue in order to find joy are actually things that threaten our very existence. Think about the things that people do for joy. I mean, for instance, virtually every ride at an amusement park is a thinly disguised death trap. <laughs> right? This is what we do in pursuit of joy. There's this one, or you could consider this one here, uh, you know, because people just want to have fun, right? So let's hang off a building or, you know, she looks like she's thrilled to be there. <laughs> but we, we engage in a multitude of activities, for instance, that require a helmet. Our brains that come up with these ideas to do are so bad at self-preservation, they actually have to design a helmet to put around themselves for the things that we do. I mean, we climb mountains and we ride bikes along the edge of cliffs for joy. We... <laughs> We, we jump out of airplanes, right? We, we jump off bridges with ropes. We jump off buildings with parachutes. You know, we jump off of cliffs without ropes or parachutes or helmets. It's crazy the stuff that we do in the pursuit of joy. But that's just the start of the stupid things that humans do expecting joy that threaten our lives. I mean, those are the silly things. But think about the other things we do in the pursuit of joy that threaten us. We inject and ingest or inhale drugs into our body. We risk our savings or our money that we don't even have on a roulette wheel or a slot machine. We have unprotected sex or adulterous sex in pursuit of joy. 
But there's lots of stupid things and dangerous things we do that we think will bring us joy that are actually threatening our very lives, that threaten our marriages, that threaten our souls. But for some reason, we do them thinking that they produce joy, but they're deadly and dangerous. We do these things in vain attempts to find happiness that lasts. We do them to find a a new way of life that delivers us joy or delivers us purpose or delivers us some fulfillment, and they are deadly dangerous to us. But God says there is a joy, that there is first the joy of seeing and treasuring Christ, which we've been talking about as disciples, that we, that we see Jesus for who he is and the gospel and what God has done through Jesus Christ and, and, and that's the first treasure or cherishing or true joy in our life. And then further, Jesus and John tell us that there is also not just the joy of being a disciple, but there's joy in participating in the ongoing great commission of leading other people into that same discovery. That there's actually joy for disciples in making disciples. And that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at the profound joy that's possible and is meant the Christian joy for disciples to make new disciples, that there's joy in that. In John 15, 11, Jesus says, I have told you this, speaking to his disciples, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So Jesus has said, I've taught you things and I've told you things so that you will have my joy and that your joy will be complete. Jesus says there's joy in being a disciple. And what's more, the Apostle John has discovered that there's a completeness or a fullness to that joy that's intrinsically tied to making disciples. And if you are to look at 1 John 1-4, to which is our text for today, so I'm using a new tablet, so I'm just seeing how it works. There it goes. First John 1, 1 to 4 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Does that sound familiar? So Jesus says to the disciples, John being one of them, I've told you these things so that my joy is in you and your joy may be fulfilled or complete or full. And then later on, near the end of his life, the Apostle John says, we saw Jesus. He came and we saw Him. We touched Him. We heard Him. We we saw Jesus. And now we're writing these things so that our joy will be complete. There is a joy in the making of disciples as we as Christians pass on this message. Let's pray as we look into God's word. Father God, there are things here that uh, you want to reveal to us in the words of John and in the words of your scripture. And so Lord, I just pray that as we look into these words, you would illuminate our hearts and that we as Christians would see the joy that you intend for us uh, to be disciple makers to be in the process of discipleship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's four joys that I want to outline for you today, four joys that John and Jesus teach us in making disciples. There's joy in the message that we deliver. There's joy in making new disciples. There's joy in growing these disciples that we make, and there's joy in the reward at the end. And so first in our message is the joy in the message itself. 
The first source of Christian joy is in the message of the gospel. This is the message that we have been given to proclaim to the world, to the world, and it is a message of joy. As Christians, we all have the same gospel. We all have the same message to deliver, and it's a message of joy. And the first part of that message is what John writes in verses 1 to 3 there that I read to you. That's the first part of the gospel, that, that Jesus, the Word, the eternal life, who is with the Father, He's appeared. He has actually come into our world, and we have witness that have heard and seen and touched Him. The Son of God, Jesus, is real, and we're witnesses to Him. And now proclaim Him as we write this, or as we speak this gospel, John says, we write this so that you can join us in fellowship with the Father and Son. And that's a joyful message, just that God has a Son, and that Son, eternally with the Father, the Word, the eternal life, has come into our world. That's a joyful message. And so the first joy that we should have is, is just in the message that we have. I mean, if, if you're given the task of sharing news, so somebody gives you news that you have to share, isn't it a great relief when it's good news? When it's joyful news? Right? In fact, if the news that you have to share, just think of the kind of news that you might have to share. If the news that you have to share is really joyful, you feel joy before you even share it. Just the anticipation of sharing that news fills you with joy. And so Christians, you have the best news in the world. So you should be filled with joy at just the anticipation of sharing that news about Jesus Christ coming into this world, right? I mean, if if you had won the lottery, was was your news was you won the lottery? You know, you're you're excited just to be able to communicate that. Or or maybe you found out that somebody's debt has been completely canceled and paid off. All their student debt is gone or their mortgage has been paid. You'd be just brimming with enthusiasm to go and share that news. That would be great, right? Or the test has come back negative or the verdict is not guilty or it's a girl or it's a boy. Or in some rare situations, I'm not pregnant, right? I mean, it's joyful news. <laughs> and so you're just filled with joy at the anticipation of sharing that news. But, but that's the feeling that we have to get is we've got the best news in the world. And so there's joy in the message itself. That's what John's talking about. He says, we write this to make our joy complete because he's brimming with joy at the news he has to share. Right? I mean, what do the angels say to the shepherds the night Jesus was born? You go to Luke 2.10. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people, right? The fact that Jesus has shown up in our world for us is great news. It is joyful news. And then when the wise men finish their long journey to Israel, after looking for the promised king, we're told in Matthew 2, verses 9 to 10, he says, They went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The news that we have that Jesus has come and he's been witnessed and heard and touched is great news. And as Christians, we should find amazing joy in that message that we have that God has sent his son to us. Historically, factually, physically, he's been sent It's a joyful message. It's a joyful message because the alternative is horrifying. Because without Jesus coming, we're still in our sin. And we're destined to damnation. And so it's a joyful message, especially in light of the alternative. And then John begins to explain the second part of the message after verse 4. It's not joyful just because Jesus came, but because of what Jesus did. And so if you're back in 1 John with me, 
uh, verses 5 to 9, he talks about what Jesus did. He says, this is the message. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then he goes on in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow, the message just got better. God came to us and we have witness of him and we saw and heard and touched him and he was among us. But not only that, he has shed his blood to cleanse us from all sin. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a joyful message. I mean, this is good news. John says here, this is the message that makes his joy complete, that makes his joy full, that God is in fact light, that there's no darkness in God. He's a good God through and through. And now we have a way to walk in the light with God. Not because we're sinless, because we only fool ourselves if we think that we have no sin, if we pretend we have no sin, but we can walk with God because when we confess our sins, He'll forgive them and make us clean again. That's a joyful message, right? We have joy in the message that we have to share. This is better than any other story you could tell. And so now when you think about the world out there, like really think about it, just close your eyes and imagine the news stories that we receive day after day from the world press. War and terror and poverty and famine and crime and human trafficking and all those things in the world. You think about the world out there and then bring it closer to home, even to Canada and the crime and the corruption and, and gambling and addictions and divorces and child abandonment and abuse. You think about the darkness that has settled over family after family after family, house after house after house, street after street. It's dark, right? It's darkness out there, a lot of darkness. Isn't the best possible news to people who are trapped in darkness and cycles of despair is that there is a kingdom of light and that there is hope and that they can walk in that light? Disciple makers, first joy, a Christian's first joy is in the message that we carry. God is light and there is a kingdom of light and that there is a way to be rescued from darkness into light. Our joy first should be in the message of the gospel and the message that we carry. There's joy in making disciples by telling them that message. And secondly, there's joy in making new disciples from that message John and we find joy in making brand new disciples. The message of the gospel is meant to rescue people from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. If you were to go on through John's letter, he would continue to contrast these two kingdoms of light and darkness. And he's writing this letter so his joy is fulfilled, he says. And then in 1 John 2.8, he says that I am writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And so John is writing so his joy is fulfilled and he's writing because this kingdom of light is coming. And there's a rescue operation going on from one kingdom to another. And this fills John with joy and it should fill us with joy that this rescue operation is taking place. And Paul talks about it in Colossians 1.13 very clearly. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. So you were in a kingdom of darkness and now you're in the kingdom of the light with the Son. And so, Christian, there is joy in being part of this rescue mission. And John finds joy in it, and Jesus finds joy in it, and Paul finds joy in it. The disciples find joy in it. 
right? Jesus started this rescue mission. He invaded our world. And he brought with him the weapons and the authority to fight the war against the kingdom of darkness, against our enemy. And he has called us to join him by the gospel and by the Holy Spirit in this rescue mission. And to see it through, to see it finished, to rescue these households and these families from the darkness and into the light. And it's against all expectations a joyful battle. Right? When, when I just get done saying that, you're thinking, okay, we're going into war and it's a rescue mission. I'm not seeing any joy. But against all expectations, what you have to see here is that this is a joyful battle. Let me show you what I mean in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles with you, just flip to Luke chapter 10 or if you have your, you know, tap there with your smartphone, whatever. But in Luke chapter 10, Jesus appoints 72 other disciples or 70. Manuscripts are kind of split on whether it's send 72 or send 70. It doesn't matter too much. But he sends 70 disciples, genuine followers, to go out ahead of him into towns and cities that he's eventually going to visit to prepare the way and begin spreading the news. Okay, So in Luke 10, verse 1, he says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And so Jesus has sent out these disciples to begin this rescue mission. And notice he doesn't say that this discipleship task is going to be easy, that you're not going to be happy and joyful because I gave you an easy job. He says the following verses. He says things like you're going to be going out like lambs among wolves. He says you're not supposed to take any money or possessions with you, not even shoes. He says, don't build relationships with people along the way. Stay on task. He says, take the first lodging you find. Don't go from house to house looking for better accommodations. He says, be satisfied with whatever food gets put in front of you. He says, engage in ministries of healing and preaching. And when they don't listen to you, and they won't, then just shake the dust from your feet and move on. And by no means is Jesus suggesting the business of being a disciple is filled with joy and happy times. Jesus is saying, come and be my disciple and carry a cross. Come, you know, let the dead bury their dead. You know, don't put your hand to the plow and turn back. Jesus is not promising that the joy of discipleship is because you're going to have a really happy life. But notice how these disciples return after Jesus sends them on this rescue mission. If you go down to Luke 10, 17, the 72 come back. And he says in verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So these disciples, they go out on this mission, no money, no shoes, no nothing, take whatever they give you, and when they don't listen to you, just move on. And they come back from this mission with joy. They come back from this mission into enemy territory, equipped with nothing but the message of the kingdom and the power of the Holy Spirit, and they come back with joy. There's joy in making new disciples. There's joy in overcoming darkness with light. Look at what they were happy about. It says, even the demons are subject to us. The disciples' joy was in the power they had over the kingdom of darkness. The gospel message we carry is not just a rational argument. right? The gospel message we have is not just a better philosophy of life. There are powerful forces that are behind the sin and the darkness in the world The sin and the darkness that threatens our own lives are spiritual forces. They are powerful sources. They're not just a rational argument or just a new philosophy is not going to overcome them. 
Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But the joy is that we're equipped to overthrow them, not in our own strength, but in the authority of Jesus. These disciples say, notice what they say, they say they are subject to us in your name, in your authority, by your power and authority, Jesus, by this gospel message in your name, in your Holy Spirit, we expect success in this rescue operation into the territory of darkness. And we have that success. We see that success around you. You see the success around you right here today. We see the success of that mission being successful in the world because these 72 and a handful of others at the time that were rescued at the start of Jesus' ministry, from those few here in this text or the few in the upper room before Jesus' ascension, from those few hundreds of millions, perhaps billions, have been rescued from the power of darkness into the kingdom of light throughout history. So there is no doubt that in this rescue operation, mission operation, we have the power and the victory to overcome. And the disciples are filled with joy over that success. We went out on this mission into the kingdom of darkness and we succeeded. We had victory. And then Jesus says in the next verse, and he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. The second area of the disciples' joy in making disciples is the victory that they had. Jesus says, I was watching. I was literally, the word is spectating. In the Greek imperfect tense, I was watching and continued to watch you. And as I watched you, Satan was falling. So let me tell you, 72 or 70 disciples, as you were out there, person by person, rescue by rescue, Satan was defeated and heaven rejoiced. Luke 15, 7, Jesus says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Christians, this is the source of joy in our life. That we have this message, this gospel that has this authority by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, but then the joy that as we go out into the kingdom of darkness, we go out on this rescue mission, we have victory and we have success. And person by person, family by family, Satan is falling as we carry out the mission that God has sent us on as disciples. What could be a more joyful than the results of rescuing, and I don't mean rescuing the world in some sort of fuzzy sense, but literally rescuing your neighbor, rescuing the family across the street, rescuing the single mom that you know that is trapped and struggling, or the man addicted to gambling, or is trapped by anger and violence? What is more joyful than rescuing them from their darkness and into the light of God's grace? Would there be anything more joyful than that as Christians? I don't believe there is. And that's the joy that the Apostle John is talking about. But thirdly, we have joy in growing those disciples, not just in the message that we have to share and not just in the rescuing of people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and those victories of the gospel, those are joyful, but we have joy that continues in growing those disciples. Further along, as John continues his letter, he writes in 1 John 2, 12 to 14, I write to you, he keeps telling them why he's writing. <laughs> he says literally, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And I write to you, fathers, because you have known him 
who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. And so as John continues, he spells out again why he's writing. And he says, we know it's for joy. Joy in the message and joy in the victory of light over darkness. And now it's joy in reflecting on the long life of discipleship that he sees in his fellow believers. He says, I write to you little children in the faith. And I write to you young men and women in the faith. And I write to you fathers and mothers in the faith. It completes my joy, little children, young believers, because your sins have been forgiven. You are new children of God. And my joy is complete, you young believers, that you have that forgiveness. And he says, I also write to you, old fathers and mothers in the faith, because you know the eternal Jesus and you've known him for a long time. And it it fills me with joy to be able to write to you, knowing how long you've been steadfast in the faith. And I write to you, young men and women, because you've proven strong in your faith. You've overcome the powers and principalities. You've overcome the enemy in your life. I can see the transformation in your life. You are strong and you have overcome and the Word of God is in you. And so John is saying here to to this cross-section of of the followers, of the believers, of the disciples, he's looking at the life stages of Christians as he writes this letter to encourage them and to build them up and remind them of the truth of the Gospel and the reality of their forgiveness and the call to to love one another. In other words, he's writing to disciple them. John is writing this letter to encourage and disciple and mature them. And John understands the joy of seeing disciples mature in Christ from young children to strong adults to fathers and mothers who are discipling others in their own right because they become parents of their own young children in the faith. And so John finds joy in the discipleship of growing disciples. The Apostle Paul expresses the exact same sentiment. He expresses the same joy even more directly in a number of places. But let's look at 2 Corinthians 7. 2 Corinthians 7, 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul says, For I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. I mean, could it be any clearer than how the Apostle Paul puts it there, right? As he writes there in 2 Corinthians, to instruct these believers, he says, I would live with you or I would die with you. I act boldly for your benefit. In all the hardship and all the trials and all the suffering I've gone through for you, I am overflowing with joy. Because Paul finds joy in discipleship. He finds joy in seeing those believers, those friends that he saw come to Christ, grow stronger in the faith. He says, it doesn't matter what I suffer. It doesn't matter. I'm overflowing with joy. So John and Paul knew what was what. They knew the purpose of their life. They knew the mission God had sent them on was not going to be easy. They knew it wasn't an easy rescue mission, but they knew it was going to fill them with joy. And it was meant for their joy. When Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John, his call was, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He did not say, follow me and I'll make you good people. I'll make you more religious. Follow me and you'll go to church every Sunday. You know, follow me and I'll make you good Christians. 
Jesus' call was a call to disciple-making. He said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you disciples who make disciples. That is going to be the purpose of your life. And they testify, along with Paul, that disciple-making is indeed a joyful enterprise, that it gives them a joyful purpose in their life with Christ. There's joy in the message. There's joy in rescuing people from darkness into light. And there is joy in seeing those people grow up in the faith. True, life-purposeful joy. And then finally, very quickly, there's joy in the reward. Again, and going back to 1 John, he just keeps writing. You go to head to chapter 3, 1 John 3, 1-2. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And to tie it back to that rescue mission that Jesus spoke to his disciples about back in Luke 10, Jesus doesn't miss this point either. In Luke 10, 20, he says, Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. Don't just rejoice in the fact that you have overcome darkness with light, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so for the disciple, the disciple-making disciple, there's joy in the reward. There's joy in the end. Our victories for the kingdom are exciting, but there is a greater joy still in this discipleship thing that we're doing, and the greater joy still to come is the certainty that your names are written in heaven, and there is a reward coming to you. And so there's joy in the reward as well. So let me ask you a question. Imagine if tomorrow you had an open opportunity to share this good news that we have with someone you know. Somebody that you know, you can think about them right now, they don't know Jesus yet, but they sit down with you tomorrow and they grab a coffee, they sit down across the table from you and they say, tell me what you believe. You're just given the opportunity to tell the story that, hey, there's a God, he's a God of the kingdom of light, he's a good God. Not only that, his son came and we saw him, we touched him, we heard him, we have testimony of him and he taught us and not only did he come, but he lived the life we couldn't live, he died the death on our behalf, he's resurrected as the promise of our salvation. We can walk with this God, not because we're sinless, but because our sins have been cleansed and paid for by Jesus Christ. They, They just say, just tell me what you believe, and you have the chance to share that story. Is that a good day for you? That's a joyful day, right? If we just had the chance to tell the story to listening ears, that would be your best day next week. Guarantee it, Christian, right? Should be should be the best day to tell that story. That'd be the best day of the week. But then imagine this. Imagine if God actually worked through his gospel in your presence, in your obedience to speak it, and God saves that person. You don't just convince them, but God receives them, and they actually move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The things that they've been struggling under, lies and depression and um, just mistakes and bad life choices and just whatever abuses in their life, just they're, they're moved from that darkness into light and their eyes are open and God receives them and they're set free from the bondage of sin and the deception of lies and the pride of their life and they are set on a path out from under the slavery of all that is dark and deathly in their life. What if that happened? Like, best day ever, right? Isn't that the most joyful thing that could happen to you next week that you get the opportunity to share that message and then they actually respond to it? Joy. 
in discipleship. Joy in making disciples. That's pure Christian joy. And now imagine that person and other people that you shared the gospel with. Just imagine as they realize their sins are forgiven and they're taking their first baby steps in the faith and the chains are coming off and, and they're growing strong month by month and year by year and they are overcoming sin and shame and darkness and they become a father or a mother in their own right sharing their own testimony and their own faith to someone else who comes into the family. Now, as you look back on that, maybe months or years later, what level of joy is that? That you could share the gospel, that they could receive it, that you see their growth, that you see them going out and sharing their testimony and more coming to faith through them. That's the joy of disciple-making. That's the joy the Apostle John says is complete as he writes these things to them. Disciple-making for believers is joy upon joy upon joy. That is real, lasting, purposeful joy. And it doesn't threaten us with spiritual death. This is joy that does not threaten our life. This is joy that leads us to eternal life. It leads us straight into the rewards of eternal life. This is the joy that is held out to us to be disciple-makers. As Christians, that's the joy we're meant to be nurturing in our lives. The joy of rescuing the lost and the joy of making disciples. So brothers and sisters, there's, there's this joy of treasuring Christ and there's this joy of being a disciple. There's this joy of what He has done for us. But, the, but Jesus and the 72 and Paul and the Apostle John and Peter and Andrew, like they all want you to know that there is this other joy. There's this joy in the message that we have to share. There's this joy in sharing the message and rescuing people from darkness into light. And there is joy in seeing them grow and come out of the darkness into the light and become spiritual fathers and mothers on their own. That's the joy of disciple-making. And so you think about your week. You think about the people you know and nurture that joy that you want to just... Share the message with them because it's such good news. And you want them to hear it and receive it because it would transform their life. And you want them here in the church with you, or wherever it is they are, to be growing in their knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. That's the joy in disciple-making. And we really have to do a good job at nurturing it and taking joy in it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. We thank you that we're disciples, those of us here that are. And if there's anyone here, Lord, who does not know you, I pray that their eyes would be opened even now and that miracle would transform their heart where your Holy Spirit just reaches in and says, you don't have to keep fighting, you don't have to keep trying. 